0: Okay, Welcome, friends. Uh, Great to have you with us. For those of you joining online, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church here in Queens, New York City. Whether you're joining from Facebook, YouTube, newlife.nyc, just a gift to have you with us. And for those of you in the room here, just a gift to worship with you and sing our praises to our God. At the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby with some of our pastors and staff, and uh, I'd love to meet you before you head out. So please introduce yourself especially if we've never met before. We are in the season of Lent, and we are focusing on the book of Jonah. We have been focusing for the last four weeks on Jonah. And we are in week number five uh, this week, week number five. And we get to one of the most interesting chapters in all of the Bible uh, because of the ways that it seems to turn at this point of the story. And so Jonah chapter four, you can follow along with me on the screen You can follow along with me in your Bible, uh, verse 1 through verse 4, hear the word of the Lord. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Verse 4. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? That's a good way to end the sermon right there. Is it right? For you to be angry, let's pray. Let's have the Holy Spirit invite the Spirit of God to speak to us. I want to say from the very beginning: there's some sermons that when you hear it, you go, "Oh, so and so needs to hear this. I can't wait to get the sermon link for them or the tape. Remember the tape, and I can't wait for them to get the tape and the CD. Uh, this is not one of those sermons. Uh, this is a sermon for all of us, not for our neighbor, not for our in-laws, not for someone we don't like. This is for all of us here. So I want to let you know. Uh, that the Holy Spirit wants to get right to the hearts of all of us as we look at this passage today. Let's pray. Lord, uh, breathe on us now through your Spirit. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts, that we would receive every gift you have for us this day. Comfort us, correct us, rebuke us, encourage us. Uh, May we look more like Jesus day in and day out. And so we pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. There's certain movies that when you watch them, They are so predictable that you know exactly how the movie is going to end. There's no surprise, there's no element of shock, it's just predictable, and it doesn't mean that it's a bad movie. It just means that it's predictable. You know where this thing is going. You know that the couple is going to get together at the end of the story. You know that the villain is going to be going to die, you know, something. they just thought, oh, this is predictable. And when it happens, it's just like, yes, this is what I expected. Ah, uh, exactly how I wanted the movie to end. This is wonderful. And then there's some other movies that they're not predictable, that at the end of the movie, you thought you knew where it was going, and then by the end, there is a revelation There's a shift in the story. There's something that you were not expecting, something that upsets your equilibrium, disorients you, and in light of this new revelation at the end of the movie, you now have to look at the beginning of the movie and everything else, and it helps you rethink and reframe the movie in light of the revelation. The Sixth Sense is a movie like that. If you've ever watched The Sixth Sense, it came out many years ago. No spoilers here, even though I got one week before I, before I spoiled this thing. It came out in the 90s, I believe. And so uh, it's, a, it's a revelation at the end of the movie that makes you rethink and has you re-see everything in a new way because of the revelation at the end. The book of Jonah is much like that. Up to this point, we have a good sense of where it's going, but then chapter 4 emerges and we get a revelation that has us rethink or reframe everything we've seen up to this point, and And the, the book as a whole is seen with greater clarity. Before we get to chapter 4, what I just read, I want to give us a summary for those of you who are new uh, to this series. Maybe this is your first time in this church, first time watching online. I want to give you a quick summary of where we've been in this very short book of Jonah. The book of Jonah begins with God calling this prophet. He's a prophet, and prophets are those who speak on behalf of God. And God calls this prophet Jonah to to speak to a people who are wicked. They're known for their violence. They're known for their brutality. They're known for their sin. And he says, I want you to get up and preach to the people at Nineveh. And so the Bible says that Jonah arose and he goes the other way. He says, I'm not going to do it. And so he tries to flee from the presence of God, which is strange. Because prophets in the Bible, whenever they hear from God, they get up and they preach. God says, I want you to say this, they get up and do it. Even when they know that the people are not going to hear or listen, they still do it. Jeremiah was a prophet, and the Lord said, I'm going to call you to preach to these people, and I want to let you know, no one's coming to the altar call. No one's saying yes. You're not going to get any amens or high fives or good word, pastor, none of that. And and Jeremiah got up and still preached and was faithful and obedient. Prophets in the Old Testament get up and preach the word of the Lord. Jonah got up and said, "Nope, I'm not doing it." And he goes the other way. He tries to flee the presence of God, forgetting that you can't go anywhere from the presence of God. God, it was with Jonah on the way to Tarshish, and He was already waiting for him when he got to Tarshish. God's everywhere. And so Jonah tries to flee from the presence of God. He goes into a ship. He goes to the lowest part of the ship, trying to get as far away from God as he possibly could. But God was already on the ship. God then sends a wind to break up the ship and to get Jonah's attention. And the poor people on the ship start, what is going on? They start praying to their gods to try to get their gods to fix this problem. But these prayers are not working because there's only one true God who can speak to this. And so Jonah's sleeping. The captain says, man, what are you doing? We need all hands on deck. Get up and call on your God. Maybe your God will listen and stop this storm. And Jonah says, I know the problem here. The problem is not because of you. The problem is me. I'm running away from God. And if you just throw me over the side of the boat, the whole storm will become calm. And they said, brother, we don't do that here. We're good people. We're not going to do that here, not at all. And they said, let's keep praying, and Lord, help us. And whatever gods they were praying to, God help us, God help us. God help Nothing was working. And five minutes after they said, brother, we don't do that here, they said, brother, you don't got to go home. <laughs> but you got to get up out of here. And so they throw him off. The side of the boat. That's, that, that's not in your Bible? That is not in your Bible there? And when Jonah hits the water, the, the, the winds calm down. And it seems like, all right, it's good for them, but it's bad for him as he's now struggling in the water. And when it seems like it can't get any worse, a fish comes and swallows Jonah whole. And now he finds himself in another predicament. He's not dead, but he's not alive. And what we've been talking about over the course of these past four weeks is he's in this in-between space. What happens when you're in an in-between space? You're not dead, but you're not alive. You're not spiritually dead, but you're not spiritually alive either. Your marriage is not dead, but your marriage is not alive either. He's in this in-between space, and then he begins to pray. He begins to call out to God. For three days and three nights, he's in the belly of a fish crying, praying to God. And the fish can't stand, I don't know, can't stand his prayers. Maybe it's a backsliding whale, I don't know. And cannot stand these prayers. And the fish spits Jonah out onto dry ground. And then what we focused on last week was one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible that summarized really the essence of God's character, the essence of God's goodness, the essence of God's compassion, the essence of God's mercy. And the Bible verse says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Mm-hmm. A second time. Aren't you glad for second times? For the kindness of God. For the grace of God, that God doesn't give up on you. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. And he sends Jonah out to preach. Jonah walks what some scholars say, 400, 500 miles to Nineveh. He walks through the city. And after he walks through the city, he has one sermon, one line, no preparation needed. He says, in 40 days, all this stuff is coming down. Amen. That was the sermon. And shockingly the people believed. Every single one of them believed his message. And they began to fast and began to go away from their violence the king hears it the king starts sending decrees he says we all need to fast we all need to turn from our violence we all need to turn from our wickedness maybe god will be merciful to us he tells dogs and cats and horses and camels and cows nobody's eating everybody's fasting and and because maybe god will be gracious to us and the lord was gracious to those people now this is a great place for the credits to roll A wonderful place for the movie to come to an end. A wonderful place for the the director to put on the screen. And they lived happily ever after. But the book of Jonah does not end at the end of chapter 3. Instead of this ending here, repentance, revival. Could you imagine the entire nation turning from their ways? What a time of celebration. What a time to rejoice. What a time to throw a party. And then Jonah chapter four, verse one. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. What? He... This seemed very wrong. And he became angry. And then listen to how he comments on this. He praised the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. And so we see Jonah didn't want to go because he was afraid. Jonah didn't want to go because he thought God was too good. I knew That you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is not how I expected the movie to end, and that here we are, and look how surprising it is. You know, do, do artists get angry when the museum says, we want to feature your artwork? No, do musicians get angry if, that, if they're at Lincoln Center or Carnegie Hall and at the end of their uh, performance they get a standing ovation? No, do baseball players get angry when they hit a home run and the crowd is boo- uh, cheering them? No, they love it all and yet here Jonah is preaching the most important sermon of his life, getting the most success out of a sermon that he's ever given in his life and now he is upset in a furious rage. He's throwing a temper tantrum. Now, if you're going to complain about God, there are plenty of areas to complain about God. When God is silent, that's a good opportunity to complain about God. When, When bad things happen to people that we love, that's a good opportunity to complain to God. But look at Jonah. He's not complaining that God is being bad. His complaint is about God's goodness. God is good to people Jonah doesn't like. Help us, Lord. (laughs) We love in church circles to talk about God's goodness. It's it's a very Christian thing to do in church. Uh, We we, we have phrases and slogans for it. When when I say God is good, you, you know what to say God is good. Yes, and all the time. Oh, look at these church people here. I just. We know what to say. We know what to do. We believe God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. We love to say God is good to us. But what happens when God is good to your enemy? What happens and what happens inside of you when God is good to people you don't like? You see, Jonah's story is a cautionary tale for all of us, demonstrating that one can receive abundant grace and still carry abundant anger when God is good to people we don't like. I knew you were gracious. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were slow to anger and abounding in love. Jonah refuses to show kindness because there are hated people. And what Jonah is trying to do is relegate the grace of God for his own people. And what Jonah does here is he misses the assignment. Jonah's story really is a story about the calling and the mission for the people of God in Israel. When God called Abraham in Genesis 12, he said, I'm galling, you're going to be blessed, but your blessing is for a particular purpose. Through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham, you have an assignment. Your assignment is to tell people about who I am. Your assignment is to tell people about what it means to love. Your assignment is to tell people about my covenant with them. Through you, all nations of the world will be blessed. Israel over and over missed the assignment. Jonah missed the assignment the church often misses the assignment that we're not just here to get religious goodies We're not just here for our own blessings We are here so that through our lives and through our love and through our compassion and through our preaching that the nations of the world will be blessed That's our assignment. That was with Jonah's assignment And too often we miss the assignment why? And for Jonah, here's the reason. The reason Jonah missed the assignment was because he has spiritually and morally distanced himself from the people of Nineveh. And what Jonah needs to repent of is what you and I need to repent of. He needs to repent of his judgmentalism, his self-righteousness, his hard heart, his unforgiveness. Greater than the geographical distance between Tarshish And Nineveh is the distance that Jonah placed between his heart and the hearts of everyone else in Nineveh. And what Jonah doesn't realize is that he needs the grace of God just like the Ninevites. He needs to realize that he has not done the will of God just like the Ninevites. He has to realize that he's been just as rebellious as the Ninevites, that he has preferred his own way just like the Ninevites. And what we see throughout Jonah is that God is trying to show his kindness to these people, but beyond God trying to show his kindness to his people, he's trying to save his own prophets. Save him from his judgmentalism. Save him from his self-righteousness. Save him from his hard heart. Save him from his unforgiveness. And what we find in this story is that this has manifested in countless ways in our society, and in our own hearts. This measuring of ourselves against others. We often have a need to see ourselves in a particular light, which helps us to see where everybody else is. And what we often live by, we often compare our lives, but beyond just comparison, what we like to do with our own hearts is is to categorize. We have a neat way of categorizing ourselves and other people good, bad, godly, ungodly, moral, immoral, righteous, unrighteous, and we put people into very neat categories. And so you're watching television, and it happens just subconsciously in you. Holy, not holy. A commercial comes on, righteous, not righteous. And our lives are lived categorizing people over and over and over again. And we assume that God always agrees with our categories. And that God sees the categories the way we see it. Not recognizing that we are all full of mixture. Every single one of us. Light and darkness. Good and bad. Good days and bad days, we're all mixture, but yet there's something inside of us that likes to stand over and against others in a sort of self-righteous, superior way that God wants to get our attention to this, this morning. And so I think about the story. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a story that Jesus tells about two people going into a place of worship, a religious leader named a Pharisee and a tax collector. The religious leader is the guy who does everything right. The tax collector is the guy who does everything wrong. And one day, Jesus says, they went to church. The tactile actors on one side, the religious leaders on the other. And Jesus says that this religious leader stands far from everyone and begins to say these words. Lord, I thank you. So far, so good. I thank you that I'm not like that guy right there. That's how it goes. (laughs) We're in trouble now. It's amazing how some of our prayers can start off really nicely, and then, Ooh, we're in a really bad place here. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that guy right there. He says, I fast. I do all the religious stuff. I put my, my I, every, every time I go grocery shopping, I put the cart back where it belongs. I'm a good guy. And The tax collector has one prayer. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus asked the question, who went home in right relationship with God? The guy who did everything right and said, thank God I'm not like this guy. Or the guy who did everything wrong and said, Lord, have mercy on me. And the answer is evident for the people of Jesus' day. The guy who did everything wrong but prayed for the mercy of God. We have a way of distancing ourselves, categorizing ourselves to other people, and the question in that story is, who are we in that story, and who have we categorized? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those Democrats. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those Republicans. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those immigrants, that drug addict, that Muslim, that gay person, that homeless person, that Wall Street executive. Lord, I thank you. The lines that we clearly categorize people into, actually lead to our own demise. And it comes out in some very small ways, subconscious ways. This smug superiority that we carry. And so you're at the restaurant, and you ordered steamed vegetables, and see that the person next to you got loaded fries, and you just went, get a hybrid car. You're feeling great about yourself. Saving the environment. And then every other person, you see a little smoke come out of their car. Someone gave me a pair of AirPods, nice AirPod Pros. My entire life, I've had headphones with wires on them. My entire life, and I remember getting my AirPod Pros for the first time, and what happened to me five minutes after I put them on. Someone gave it to me, I walked down Queens Boulevard, feeling really good about myself. <laughs> I put them on, I started walking down the street and saw someone with the wires there, and I just said, mm-mm. I see someone trying to parallel park. <laughs> you know, a truck can fit in there, they're still having a hard time and I'm just... <laughs> I pride myself as a New Yorker, parallel parking. I, I got great skills, but I struggle from time to time. And I found myself the other day, just struggling to the plans and somebody's behind me. <laughs> This self-righteousness, this sense of superiority flows through all of us. Which is why the Russian novelist Alexander Soltanitsyn said it this way. He said, the the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. And this must be honestly confessed the truth that we're all mixture. Every single one of us, every place we belong, there is mixture and this must be confessed. You know, Nationally, this must be confessed. One of the dangers of war and atrocity that we're seeing in places like Ukraine is the moral distance that we can create in this country. And not just moral distance, to live in the United States often means that we live according to mythology. And one of the great myths of being in the United States of America is that this country is a city shining on a hill. That this country is the salt of the earth. And I just want to say something about this here. Because when Jesus said that the, that, that about a city on a hill and the salt of the earth, he was not talking about the United States of America. He was talking about followers of Jesus who will follow him in the way of the kingdom of God. That job description has already been taken. Nationally, we must recognize this country is great mixture. Racially and ethnically, must rec- whenever ethnocentrism comes inside of us, and we find ourselves better than other people, we don't do it that way. And this smug superiority, religiously, when Christians look at other religions in a smug superior way, We are now living against the way of Jesus. When this happens in churches, and I just want to say, as the pastor of New Life Fellowship Church, may we never critique other churches. May may we never categorize and compare ourselves to other churches. May we never say, that church over there, and, and that preacher over there, and that thing over there. There's plenty of fault to go around. But we as a church are not looking at other churches with a sense of smug superiority. We all have mixture. We all have limits. We all have light and darkness, righteousness and unrighteousness. That the problem is not out there. The problem is everywhere. It reminds me G.K. Chesterton, one of the people who was known for leading C.S. Lewis uh, to faith. Uh, one day in his newspaper century ago, uh, they put out a question that said, what's wrong with the world today? And Chesterton, uh, this British journalist, wrote back to the, uh, the editor and said, dear sirs, I am. What's wrong with the world today? I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. If we were writing a letter to the editor, it'd be very simple. This is what we would say. We would say, to whom it may concern, they are. (laughs) Sincerely yours, everybody. Who's they? they? They. They, they, they. They're what's wrong with the world. Jonah thinks he's better. He's superior. And we are all in the same boat with him. The Croatian theologian Miroslav Volf said, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Jonah's biggest sin was not the long distance he ran from Nineveh, but the distance he placed in his heart between him and the Ninevites. And we must recognize our own brokenness as we live in this world, the ways we miss the mark. You know, one of the things that annoys me is like when I send an email and then someone doesn't respond to my email, it takes a long time for them to respond to my email. I hear that snap. <laughs> and then I recognize all the times that someone has sent me an email and I haven't responded to it. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. A sinner. The black mystic Howard Thurman once said, the thing which seems to me objectionable in others is something of which I myself am guilty. In one of his chapters of a book called Meditations of the Heart, he wrote a great chapter on how we justify ourselves and self-righteousness. And he said one day he was at a retreat and a guy knocked on his door and said, Dr. Thurman, can I room with you tonight because my roommate at this retreat is a friend of mine, and I just know that he snores really badly, and I'm not going to get any sleep whatsoever with him. Can I room in with you for the night? And Dr. Thurman says, sure, no problem. You can room in with me. Uh, Not a problem. And Dr. Thurman was typing and working, and the guy got to bed before Dr. Thurman did. And what did he begin to do? Start snoring. (laughs) Loudly. And Dr. Thurman could not sleep in the same room as that guy, and so he went out to the living room hoping that he would get up in the morning before the guy did so the guy wouldn't see him sleeping outside of the room. But the guy woke up before Dr. Thurman did and said, was I snoring? And he said, Oh, yeah, you were snoring. You were snoring all right. And he said, this was the last time I complained about anyone else snoring. I, I recognized this in myself. There have been times where I watch television, and I see something, someone's snoring, and he'll, he'll help you for your problem. I go, wow, uh, I'm so glad I don't snore. I remember Rosie going, excuse me? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't snore. And I was just self-right, I do not snore. I don't, I, I've never heard myself snore. I don't <laughs> snore. And Rosie for, I, I think I got this revelation last year So we've been married over 16 years Her kindness, her kindness has, She has kept this from me And, and so I discovered last year Because I started getting self-righteous with it Like I don't snore, I snore, you snore I don't snore, you snore And so I found out I snore Because she recorded me snoring That's you brother, that's you And I was shocked, what? How long has it been like this? Your kindness is unbelievable, woman, look at this. This is the point. We are often unaware of our own self-righteousness, of our own blind spots. Listen, we have all disappointed people, too. We have said harsh things. We have not followed through on a promise. We've gossiped, we've lied, we've been insensitive, we've been moody and grouchy. We've we've been stingy. This doesn't mean that we are to do away with speaking truth. This doesn't mean that we are not to be champions of justice. This doesn't mean that we can't call out wrong. What this does mean, however, is that we are aware of our own inconsistencies of our own ups and downs, of our own mixture as we are doing it. And so we do it with compassion. We do it with angst, knowing the darkness of my own heart. And we do so recognizing the mixture that's within me. What happened here with Jonah? In short, Jonah had a bad case of grace amnesia. He forgot how good God has been to him. Which is a theme in the Bible that comes up over and over again. Remember, remember, remember. Remember that you were once slaves. Remember that you were liberated. Remember that God saved you. Remember that God forgave you. Remember that God has been compassionate to you. Over and over again, we find God saying, remember, remember, remember where you've come from. Just a couple of minutes ago, Jonah was in the belly of a fish. And God rescued him. And yet Jonah is angry. If I was God, having just delivered Jonah, seeing the conviction and repentance, and then hear Jonah say, I'm angry. I would say, let's get another fish out here. Let's just just, get a lion this time around. But instead. God doesn't send another fish. God asks a question. And the question is very simply, have you any right to be angry? When God asks a question in the Bible, it's not because God doesn't know the information. It's not because God is going, what's going on here? No, God knows everything. When God asks a question, he's trying to get the person he's asking the question to to think about their ways. Have you any right to be angry? And here's what what God is getting at here. The question is not whether we should be angry or not. There's plenty of things to be angry about. Legitimate things to be angry about. The question is not whether we are to be angry or not. Here's the question. The question is, is our self-righteousness producing the anger that we feel? That's what's happening here. Is the self-righteousness that we have in us producing the anger we feel? And when I hear God ask this question, I also hear God saying, Jonah, don't you know what this anger is doing to you? It's killing you. Don't you know that this resentment and deep-seated anger that's living inside of you, it's destroying your life? Which is why another translation says, do you do well to be angry? No, we don't do well. Especially when it's based out of self-righteous anger. Jonah, look at your life. Look at the history of your people. Look at how how I've shown them grace over and over and over again. What right do you have to be angry when I extend grace freely to anyone I want And this is the scandal of the gospel, that we cannot control the grace of God. God will be gracious to whomever God will be gracious to. And it doesn't mean that we can't be angry. It doesn't mean that we can't question. It doesn't mean that we can't wrestle with this. But what it does mean is that the Holy Spirit wants to get us to recognize when our anger flows out of a self righteous place the scandal of the gospel jonah preaches to his enemies and is angry when they repent jesus dies for his enemies and rejoices when they turn to him while we were yet sinners christ died for us look at the verse look what it doesn't say When we got our act together, then God welcomed us. When we fixed up our dirty sins, then God received us. When we finally prayed and went to church enough, then God welcomed us. No, no, no. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, which is why one of the prayers that I need to pray on a regular basis, and I want to end with this, is a prayer that that tax collector prayed in that service. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What if we prayed that every single day, multiple times a day? Could you imagine what the world would look like if we all prayed, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Could you imagine what your marriage would look like if you both came into this thing And whenever there's mistakes happening, you go, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. When there's disagreements, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The world will be transformed. Your soul will be transformed. And so hear the invitation from God. The question is not whether we can be angry or not. The question is, is our anger flowing from a place of self-righteousness? God asks each and every one of us this very simple question. Have you any right to be angry? Amen. Let's pray together. Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment before we sing together. Human heart needs healing. Our relationships long for restoration. And it'll never come through self-righteousness. It only comes through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only righteousness that we can stand on. Where's the Holy Spirit focusing in your life today? Where's the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to pay attention to this right here? Maybe your anger, for some of it is justified. And maybe, just maybe, some of our anger is coming not from a place of healthy anger, but something else. May we be a humble, repentant people, melting at the mercy of God, open to the ways that he wants to transform our heart. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us, for we are sinners in need of your grace, and may we rejoice that you have been good to us, and may you give us a spirit of humility whenever we find you being good to people that we might not even like, and Lord, only your spirit can do that. Because in our own strength, we can't. And so come Holy Spirit, make us into the people you long for us to be. Free us in the name of Jesus. And may we be our ambassadors of kindness and grace and mercy in this world. We sing to you now words of praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.
1: This mountain can't be moved. They say these chains will never break, but they don't know you like we do. There is power. time. seems to be no way. We trust in you, God, you have the final say. You are the way when there seems to be no way. We trust in you, God, you have the final say. You are Can we believe? Can we believe for it from the impossible? We'll see. Amen.
0: Amen. Let's have our prayer team come to my right. One of the things we are called to believe God for is His power to melt a hard heart, which might be the greatest miracle that God does on a day-to-day basis around the world. Very easy to say, wow, God healed that person and God restored that and God did that. But there might be no greater miracle than God taking a hard heart and making it malleable, pliable, moldable, soft. And to some degree, throughout the course of the week, our hearts get hard. They might start off on Sundays soft, We leave church on Monday, still pretty soft. By Wednesday, it starts getting a little harder. By Friday, forget about it. And Then we come in on Sunday and it's soft again. What would it look like for us to live day to day with our hearts remaining soft before God, open before God, moldable before God, malleable before God? flexible before God. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And guess what? The Holy Holy Spirit has been given to those who follow Jesus Christ to turn our hard hearts into hearts of flesh. And in order for the world to move towards wholeness, we need more and more to tap into that power of the Spirit. One of the ways that we tap into that power is by prayer. When we pray for one another, we are opening ourselves up to a release of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we end every gathering with a time of prayer. Because sometimes we just need someone to speak a word over us, to prophesy over us, to speak courage into us, to speak softness into us and compassion. And sometimes we just need God's word coming from someone else to do a work in our hearts. And so our prayer team will be here, whatever needs you have. Maybe you came into church today. Maybe you're watching online And your heart has been hard for a really long time. Maybe you've never allowed yourself to say yes to Jesus Christ. You've never welcomed in the Holy Spirit into your life. Never said, forgive me of my sins. Lord, I want to follow you. Make me a new person. And if you've never made a decision like that, oh, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. Whether you come up for prayer, whether you text this Phrase on the screen, whether you're watching online or even here, the phrase yes to Jesus. To the number on the screen, which is 718 424 0122. One of our pastors would love to follow up with you. At the end of our sermon here, we'll have a sermon discussion time. And so, for those of you watching online, if, if, um, if you have some self righteousness you want to just address there, feel free to join us. We are all in the same boat with Jonah. Every single one of us in need of the grace of God. Let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit. May God continue to melt your hearts. May you be open before the Lord. May you be compassionate to yourself and compassionate towards others. May others come to know of the saving love of Jesus Christ through you. I bless you all. The strong, the beautiful, the patient name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Grace and peace to all.